45, ruining our lives. 45, ruin our lives. 45, ruin our lives. Yeah! Welcome to the AltaCast, where socialism and Marxism and uh, democraticism, democrat, I don't, whatever. I don't believe in the Democrats anymore. All right. I do believe in the AltaCast, and I do believe in MutinyRadio.fm. My beautiful co-host... And I don't, why do I always mention how beautiful she is? It has nothing to do with her intelligence, her soul, her wherewithal, her cleverness, her amazingness. Latoya, the Sheriff of Truth, win. Uh, and it's terrible. I've been, I also am a misogynist. I grew up uh, in our America where we are taught that, we are taught on a large societal level that women's worth is in their beauty. And, and I have fallen deeply into that for years and years because surprise I grew up here uh, in America and I just <sighs> watched too much TV as a kid so I always thought I was fat boo uh, all right well the lovely Latoya the sheriff of truth Wind, will be in at 1 p.m. to tell us what's going on in the world we also know what's going on in the world because we're gonna check out our drug policy alliance minute which turns usually into like an hour because I'm really into drug policy change. Uh, thank you to our insider, Melissa Moore, at Drug Policy Alliance. Go like them on Facebook. Give them money. Please don't let uh, the draconian drug laws of the 70s, 80s, and 90s come back into play. Let us move forward with harm reduction. And, uh, you know, the best way to reduce harm is to smoke more marijuana. <laughs> Right, yeah, that's right. Uh, all right. So we're going to do that, and then we're also going to check in with NARL, the pro-choice for America uh, group, so that we can know what's going on there as well. Uh, hey, on my way here, I learned that uh, definitively gingers do have a soul. That is a real thing. I was waiting for the bus underneath a little thing and I had a little play with myself. I, I found my cigarette. I had one and, and then I'm kind of digging through my bag and I, I finally find a lighter and then I'm clicking it and clicking it and it doesn't work and I'm like, ah! And this guy comes running from across the street, a nice ginger man with a ginger beard and he says, my friend and I were watching you and we were like, oh, she got it! She got the lighter! And then it didn't work and he's like, you're, I'm like, you're my savior. I'm like, oh, you watched my little play. That's so cute. Uh, but yeah, people pay attention. They keep their eyes open and help me out today. So that was nice. While I was waiting for the bus. I got to smoke a cigarette. I'd like to, uh, you know, smokers have been demonized and uh, vilified and their taxes levied against us. And I really think it's because we're horrible litterers just throwing our cigarette butts willy nilly all over the universe. I say smokers of the world, unite and start being cool and throw your cigarette butts away in a garbage can. Then people won't vilify us as much because they won't have as much reason to. Because every time they look down on the ground, especially when it's raining like right now and you see all of these cigarette butts just poof like weird cottony mess on the street. Uh, hey, can we all stop littering? Just... Okay. <laughs> PSA. Done. Um, I'm hearing weird scratchy things happening, and I'm wondering why. So if you're hearing that, give me a call. 415-550-0511. Help me diagnose the, uh, the, the scratchy problems I'm hearing. Uh, it's probably this microphone. And uh, I'll most likely switch it in a minute. Uh, coming up at 2 o'clock is Some Call Me Tim with special guest Jade Terrio. So that's going to be a lot of fun, too. All right. 
Let's get into the Drug Policy Alliance. Drug Policy Alliance. What do they have to say today? Uh, here we go. Cassandra, uh, this Drug Policy Alliance uh, is referencing Black History Month. Now, I realize that I'm a jerk uh, recently because I haven't acknowledged Black History Month at all. Like, I... None of the shows that I booked, nothing. So apologies. Um, Cassandra Frederick, Drug Policy Alliance's Black History Month series visionary, talks about owning our own narratives. Uh, the visionary is Cassandra Frederick. Crack babies, welfare queens, super predators, thugs. That's what they call us. Those are the lies they tell about us. The war on drugs, a war on most the most vulnerable and targeted black and brown communities in the United States of America shapes black history just as much as it shapes our present struggle for liberation from a white supremacist capitalist state. White supremacist capitalist state. One cannot discuss black history in its entirety without discussing the war on drugs. Dismantling that war will shape our future. In 2013, this truth led Cassandra Frederick, New York State Director for the Drug Policy Alliance, visionary and 2016 Route 100 honoree, to create a series, of dedica a series dedicated to drug policy reformers to place the urgent need for justice squarely in the Black History Month narrative. At its conception, DPA's Black History Month series was the birth of awareness for Frederic, who had been at the forefront of the war against drugs since 2009. In February 2012, the New York, uh, New York police officer Richard Haste gunned down 18-year-old Ramarley Graham in his grandmother's home after targeting him on the street. Haste alleged that Graham was selling marijuana and that... Uh, and used that unsubstantiated allegation as a rationalization for his cold-blooded execution. When traces of THC, the chemical found in marijuana, were discovered in Trayvon Martin's system during the autopsy of his body, racists used that fact to justify George Zimmerman's profiling, stalking, and ultimately killing him on that rainy night in Sanford, Florida. I knew the moment I knew in that moment, if we didn't connect the way the drug war was killing us, then we were complicit in, in the disappearing their lives, Frederic says. She's absolutely right. In 2015, the New York Times declared 1.5 million black men between the ages of 25 and 54, quote unquote, missing. Because of early death and incarceration, there are more than 1.5 million more black women who are not behind bars than men in that age group. That disparity for whites is virtually non-existent. One in every 13 black Americans has lost voting rights due to disenfranchisement laws. In 2014, the imprisonment rate for black American women was more than twice that of white women. These oppressive conditions under an expanded police state can be traced directly to the so-called war on drugs, which is a systematic tool of enslavement. It has ravaged black and Latino, Latinx, ooh, I like that. I guess Latino and Latina together is Latinx, working class communities, leaving white communities relatively unscathed. It has been positioned as a necessary response to crime and poverty when we know it to be a primary cause. For Frederic, it has been critical to connect those dots for people who might not see the broader and deeper picture. And what better time than February? Black History Month 
project started out as an apology, Frederick tells The Root, from me to myself to the future black drug policy reformers that were on their way. I believed this narrative that was happening to us. Incarceration, addiction, family destabilization was a result of getting for what we asked for. I had always asked for a more definitive commitment from our movement on racial justice, but I guess I always feared that they would throw it back in my face. We did this, Frederick continues. I think back to my earlier years in this movement and wondered if I was assertive enough, if I asked all the questions I needed to. Did I study our movement hard enough? Now when I speak at forums and address and attendees ask me what I think the role of black America was in the drug war, I reply, yes, we wanted some of us to be locked up, but we also wanted treatment and we never got that part, Frederic adds. Troubled history. As previously reported by The Root, when Bill Clinton's crime bill passed in 1994, it was with the help of 23 members of the Congressional Black Caucus who were and we were expecting a reinvestment in the black community. In addition to that never happening, the bill was stripped of the Racial Justice Act, which would have allowed death row inmates to use data showing racial inequities in sentencing. The bill was also stripped of 3.3 billion, two thirds of it from prevention program, two thirds of it uh, from prevention programs a provision that would have made 16,000 low level drug offenders eligible for early release was also removed. They urinated on us and told us it was raining, Federique says, but I am not as gracious with our leaders of the past. Charlie Rangel's apology in Ava DuVernay's documentary 13th is not enough. We threw away whole parts of our community and we need to re-examine that as well because that is our history. It isn't, it just isn't all of it. And there is power in telling the full story, Federique continues. Federique also notes that it is important to recognize that drug policy reform is not an industry of white saviors. It's, it is so easy to believe otherwise only because black pioneers have largely been erased from the conversation. For the most part, we are meant to believe that benevolent white folks are how we got to where we are now in our war against the war on drugs, she tells The Root. Yes, there are tons of brave white drug policy reformers who forged paths for the, and the drug war to end, like Ethan Nadelman, Craig Reinerman, and Ira Glasser. But they all read Troy Duster's book, Frederick continues. Benny Prim mentioned Deborah Peterson Small. There was a resistance that has always been black. Black people have the most severely have been most severely impacted by the war on drugs, Frederic adds. And at this moment, when white faces have caused the nation to have critical interrogation about what to do about drugs, black people need the whole story. So in the moment that we can demand so in the moment that we can demand the necessary acknowledgement, atonement, and action to build our communities. Ooh, I keep hearing that crazy sound that is crackling, so I apologize. Uh, drug policy is race policy, and to honor drug policy reformers on the front lines, the Drug Policy Alliance, in partnership with The Root, is bringing you the stories of four phenomenal people who have been instrumental in shaping conversations around drug policy and its lethal effects on black communities around the country.
We begin next week with Wanda James, CEO of the Denver-based cannabis dispensary Simply Pure. James, the first black woman to own a cannabis dispensary, says that it's time for black America not only to look at the economic opportunities that the cannabis industry represents, but also do the necessary work of eradicating the stigma surrounding drug use. All of the people that come to the dispensaries and all of the lawyers and all of the doctors and all of the elected officials that pretend they don't know what weed is and that they don't smoke cannabis need to come to the table and get real. Let's get real. Uh, that was written by Kirsten West Savali, who is a journalist for TheRoot.com. Uh, so stay tuned. This is part of the Black uh, History Month series. We'll be bringing it to you every week here at Black History Month on the AltaCast because we love Drug Policy Alliance. Alrighty. So uh, go like Drug Policy Alliance and uh, you know they're they're great. And they're they're trying to they're trying to change the world. So yay. Uh and what are we going to do? What are we going to do about the war on drugs? We thought that we were winning. Uh, I mean, we thought that we were winning the war on the war on drugs. And now it looks like we're going to be taken back. Back to the dark ages. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot on this show about the history of cannabis and uh, its medical uses since it was first uh, mentioned in the very first pharmacopoeia pharmacological book ever written 4,000 years ago by the Chinese, they mentioned cannabis as a healing plant that uh, in India they've been using it for years. You know, let's get on board everybody. All right, our other new news partner is Narl for Pro-Choice America. Wow, how scary is this? Will Roe v. Wade be overturned? Ugh. You know, uh, I'm afraid because I am a 42-year-old woman of childbearing age. I, and, but, I mean, thank God I have an IUD and I'm in a, in a wonderful monogamous relationship, so that's, like, not a dangerous thing. I kind of understand why. So, IUDs were never really brought to the table for me as a, as a woman until I had an abortion. And then they said, hey, let's stick one of those things in there. And I was like, yes! Why didn't we talk about this before? And I understand a little bit because of... Of, of because of my age and in the 80s just and we were so afraid of AIDS like even I remember watching the 21 Jump Street when uh, Johnny Depp had to go into the school and everyone was worried about the AIDS kid remember that uh, so I was so afraid of AIDS that I understand why they wouldn't want to really push the IUD as awesome birth control because you know of STDs and the whatnot uh, but the only STD I ever caught was from my first marriage and that's sexually transmitted debt, everyone. Yeah. Uh, but so now I have an IUD, which is amazing. But if I didn't, I mean, really? I, are you going to make me have a baby? Like, I, I've chosen this long not to have one because I'm a responsible adult and I can't afford it. And I just don't have the time or ability to be a great mom. Uh, I get paid to do that as a nanny. So that's kind of like... how. I'm so confused as to how people raise children without being paid for it. Like, this is a thing? Why? But that goes back to, to feminism anyways. Why aren't... Why isn't women's work valued monetarily in our uh, economic system? Why don't women 
who can be great moms. Why don't they get social security? Pop those babies out, be a dependent. I mean, where are we going back to? Anyways, I'm, I'm scared, all right? Uh, but we're gonna get to the gnarl. Uh, thank you, here we go. Uh, gnarl pro-choice Americans. Uh, so here we go. Uh, now that the pledge has a name, Neil Gorsuch. Ugh, such gore, right? Ugh, I'm so scared. There's gonna be such gore with all those back uh, room abortions that are gonna come again. It just seems so scary. Uh, so Neil Gorsuch donated to anti-choice politicians including Bill Frist, John McCain, and George W. Bush, wrote that the ACA's contraceptive policy forced Hobby Lobby to violate their religious faith by mandating the coverage of contraceptives, argued that courts can override the conscience of healthcare providers when they make public hospitals perform legal abortions. Oh good, courts inside my uterus, so exciting. Uh, all right, President Donald Trump has laid his card squarely on the table. He's already started to make good on his odious campaign promises from banning Muslims from entering our country to building the wall on our southern border to denying women across the world life-saving information regarding their reproductive health care. And that's just all in the first week. Uh, just recently, he announced his nominee for Supreme Court. With this announcement, we face a question as Americans. Will we be able to start digging out from the massive destruction that Trump leaves in his wake in four years, or will his agenda be enshrined for a lifetime through the highest court in the land? Our grandchildren will judge us on what we do. Uh, I actually read this last week, but it's it's good to know that things are scary, right? Uh, here's a, another. How do you resist? How do you resist? Let's find out what Narl says. All week, the internet has been ablaze with questions about what to do next in the wake of the massive women's marches that rocked the nations and the world. Hey, and this is terrible. My father's a Republican, and, and uh, he did not vote for Trump, thank God, but he's been passing around some odious memes. And one of them was a picture of the women's march, and it said, um, Trump got 8 million women to work out uh, in one week and m that Michelle Obama couldn't do in eight years, something like that. And I just wanted, I mean, how do you send a punch through the, through the internet? I was like, seriously, seriously. Uh, there's been no shortage of answers, block nominations, call your congressperson, show up at the white house. Uh, let, let the GOP retreat. know you're listening. There are, and will be no lack of protests to take action in the coming days. And these are the important steps uh, to make our collective voices heard. Still, the times call for something greater. The first week of the Trump administration has proven that the next four years will represent unprecedented threats to, women's, to, to, women's, to women, to immigrants, and to historically oppressed communities. Even more, there is an acknowledgement that the fundamental promise of American democracy and the principles of our country was founded on are teetering upon the edge of an abyss. Executive orders... Donald Trump signed could wreak havoc on the millions of Americans for the next years and even decades. Egregious acts like installing the global gag rule that undercuts women's agency and endangers lives are piled onto immigration bans that threaten to separate families and prevent children from reaching safe places. And he's making good on his threat to take health care away from millions with his action to dismantle crucial parts of the Affordable Care Act and efforts to limit enrollment in new health plans. 
This means who we are, as much as what we do, is going to be the determining factor in how and whether we survive this period. Protest is finite. Resistance is durable. Protest actions say, I don't like this. A mind frame of resistance works constantly to end systems that leave people behind and leave kids worse off than their parents instead of work to create something new. Uh, protest is what I do. Resistance is who I am, who I promise to be, and what I promise to create. That means resistance is daily. Our daily acts from where we shop to what we talk about with our families around the kitchen table to who we make eye contact with seed and nurture resistance. It looks different every day. One day, it may be calling your senator. One day, it may be standing up to bullies emboldened by Donald Trump's hateful rhetoric. One day, it might be showing up at a rally. One day, it might be frequenting a business that shares your values. But every day, it means waking up and deciding that you won't stand for this because resistance is a way of life. In my family and at NARL, we've been engaged in acts of hashtag resistance. Every day, we think of ways to live in our values, offer simple acts to demonstrate our commitment to resistance, to resist the erosion of our democracy, and share those with others. We will continue to do this every day in the Trump era. Ooh, 45 era. And we want to know what you are doing. No act is too large or too small. Submit your acts of resistance or email them to me at actnow@narl.org if you want to be anonymous. We want to share the best ideas from our network with our network. Yay! We've also heard so many of you that want to get to know each other. And so we're bringing NARL members together in the house parties across the country from South Bend, Indiana to Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, in times like these... I often go to poetry for inspirations. One of my favorites is a passage from Marge Percy. What we want to change, we curse and then pick up a tool. Bless whatever you can with eyes and hands and tongue. If you can't bless it, get ready to make it new. Protesting, protest is cursing. Resistance is making new every day. And we're committed to both. Are you with us? Yay! This was written by Elsie Hogue, uh, president of NARL Pro-Choice America, proud Texan. Pastimes include Shark Week. <laughs> I hope by Shark Week she means uh, having a period. So that is some news from Pro-Choice America, uh, NARL. Go like them and uh, tell them what you're doing to fight back against 45 and what that means. I mean, oh boy, I hope Roe v. Wade doesn't get overturned. I mean, I'm I'm scared. Uh, we are going to look up uh, one of my favorite bands, and they wrote a song in the 90s, uh, and it's about uh, abortion. It's about pro-choice, and... Uh, I love this song. I love it. Uh, it is called La Femme Fetal. Fatal, but fetal, right? Ha, 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 ha. So clever. F-E-T-A-L-A-L, which should be, you know, like La Femme Fatale. But they are just being super clever, those diggable planets. So thank you for listening to the AltaCast here on Mutiny Radio. We're going to get to the diggable planets momentarily. Is couple of Mutiny Radio.
was 8.49 on a beautiful night day of July. There was not a cloud to speak of, so the orange sun hung lonely in the sky. I lay prone in my cabby home, thinking of fine nappy Jackie and his jazz cat's horn. Sliding in a tape of bird on bird when suddenly rang my phone. Hey, butterfly, the voice said, slip on some duds, comb out your fro, and slide on down to my pad. The vibe here is very pleasant, and I truly request your presence. A problem of great magnitude has arose, and as we speak it grows. Damn, what could it be, I thought, a juice I bought, and rolled on down to her spot. Seeing bros I know, slapping fives, I arrived and pressed G5. And there was Nikki, looking some kind of sad, with tears falling from her eyes. She sat me down, and dug my frown, and began to run it down. You remember my boyfriend said that fly kid who I love Well our love was often a verb And spontaneity has brought a third But due to our youth and economic state We wish to terminate About this we don't feel great But baby that's how it is But the feds have dissed me They ignored and dismissed me The pro-lifers harassed me outside the clinic And called me a murderer Now that's hate So needless to say We're in a mental state of debate Hey, beautiful bird, I said, digging her somber mood. The fascists are some heavy dudes. They don't really give a damn about life. They just don't want a woman to control her body or have the right to choose. But baby, that ain't nothing. They just want a male finger on the button. Because if you say war, they will send them to die by the score. A boarding mission should be your volition. But if Suda and Thomas have their way, You'll be standing in line, unable to get welfare While they'll be out hunting and fishing It has always been around It will always have a niche But they'll make it a privilege, not a right Accessible only to the rich Hey, pro-lifers need to dig themselves Because life don't stop after birth And for a child born to the unprepared It might even just get worse The situation would surely change If they were to find themselves in it Supporters of the H-bomb and firebombing clinics. What type of shit is that? Orwellian, in fact. If Roe v. Wade was overturned, would not the desire remain intact? Leaving young girls to risk their health. Doctors to botch and watch as they kill themselves. Now, I hate to sound macabre, but hey, isn't it my job? Lay it on the masses and get them off their asses to fight against these fascists. So, whatever you decide, make that move with pride. Sid will be there and so will I. An insect till I die. Rhythms and sounds spinning around. Confrontations across the nation. Your block, my block, dreadlocks. What a shock, land of the free, but not me, 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 not me. Wendy Davis stood up. Wendy hey, Davis stood up. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. No, 
this bill you tout. Texas prizes freedom and Texans value rights. And we've got women's back in the fight. Well, she was getting close, called out on three infractions. The leaders faked the vote, got busted in the action. You'd like the chamber ladies when your cheating's ladies Can't trust these men to make it. And you can't silence us with women's rights. Won't sit and take it. Won't tolerate it Can't legislate These it These bills are dangerous You say they save us Your deceit amazes Instead they claim us These are women's rights The right wing hates it Come and take it Can't even say it No we won't yield We'll stand for hours Ain't gonna cower Test our voting power What about this team's fair? In the action, you'd like the chamber ladies when your cheating's ladies can't trust these men to make it, and you can't silence us with women's rights. Won't sit and take it, won't tolerate it, can't legislate these it. These bills are dangerous. You say they save us, your deceit amazes. Instead, they claim Cause us. these are women's rights. The right wing hates it. Closing clinics will impact you Dropping down to five from 42 Yo, El Paso drive for hours, boo Yeah, maybe it's easy for a rich fool Hardship on the rest of us ain't so cool Stuff like this will turn a red state blue If it's all for health, why do docs disdain? Experts from ACOG call it a shame And what about that girl raped and in pain? Or when a daddy and the baby daddy one and the same? Zephyrin, Vanderput, and Wendy Davis At least the Democrats know what a rape kid is And Perry eyeing Penn Avenue Sprinting to the right, he broke some rules Carolina and Ohio joined the duel But nothing Beats Laubenberg, she crazy cool. to figure out how to incorporate this concept, and I haven't been able to figure out how to do it. Until recently, a lady named Cynthia Nixon came out and said publicly that she chose to be gay. And I have to say, I'm obsessed with it, and I'm so glad she said it, because I was trying to figure out a way to incorporate a pro-choice um, theme song into my act. And so finally, she said it out loud. She's famous, she said it, she's like, I chose to be fucking gay, fuck you. And I love it, I'm totally into it. Because they always tell us that we're born this way and all that shit, which is fine, which is fine. But I love that she had the balls to say, I got with a lady, and I'm into it, and I chose it. And I don't want to be angry about anything now. I want just to let the words of the song wash over you. Because, <laughs> you know, 
I don't know if there was a way to even describe it or articulate my feelings. That's what I'm talking to you like right now in my folk rock voice. It's soothing yet self-righteous. The song is called Pro-Choice. Pro-Choice is not just for abortion anymore.
That was Julie Goldman, everyone. Julie Goldman. Julie Goldman killing it. Pro-choice song here. That was uh, La Femme Fetal, Fetal by Diggable Planets. And then that was the uh, pro-choice song by the Texan women in the middle. Uh, hashtag women's rights. And then Julie Goldman's pro-choice song. You guys are listening to the AltaCast here on Mutiny Radio. It's high noonish. Uh, Latoya, the Sheriff of Truth, will be joining me momentarily. And uh, thanks for that little musical break. I enjoyed that song uh, very much, Julie Goldman. Very, very funny, funny stuff. So, uh, wow. Well, what did I, what cool stuff did I bring in for you guys today? I'll tell you. Uh, everyone's been so bummed about 45 and, and uh, how rich people are taking over and, you know, oh, the 1%, the 1%. And we act like this is a new thing. Uh, there's been a 1% for a long time, my friends. A long, long time. Uh, so we're going to go back all the way. This is this is from uh, an amazing book by Bill Bryson called Made in America. And it's about the how the uh, American language was formulated and uh, where all of our lexicon comes from. Uh, because obviously we... You know, we started, we didn't start from England. There were the, the French that were here and there were the Native Americans. And, and how many words did we adopt from where and where did they come from? And why is our language so vast and difficult? Uh, because we uh, literally are a melting pot. But we like to pretend uh, that this is the first time that rich people have been being dicks. Uh, this happened <laughs> around the turn of the century with industrialism here in the United States. Um, so here we go. Where am I going to start pulling from? All right. The new class. Oh, the, I'll start here. Uh, as many as the mid 1820s, Americans were talking admiringly of millionaires, a term borrowed from the British who had in turn taken it from the French. And by 1850, they were supplementing the word with a more aggressive version of their own uh, devising multimillionaires. An American lucky enough to get in on the ground floor, 1872, that was coined, with an arresting invention or a timely investment, might reasonably hope to become a millionaire himself. In 1840, the country had no more than 20 millionaires, and by 1915, there were 40,000. Well, how? But you ask, how could they become millionaires? What would that be? And it's so funny because it was at the same time when in Marxism, Marx was writing his, uh, the haves and the have-nots, the, uh, the bourgeoisie versus the proletariat, the worker, the labor, you know, versus uh, the owner. The new class of tycoons from the Japanese taikun, T-A-I-K-U-N, or military commander, and first applied to business leaders in the 1870s, enjoyed a concentration of money and power that is almost unimaginable now. In 1891, John D. Rockefeller and Standard Oil controlled 70% of the world market for oil. J.P. Morgan's House of Morgan and its associate companies in 1912 were worth more than the assessed value of all the property in the 22 states and territories west of the Mississippi. With great wealth came the luxury of eccentricity. James Hill of the Great Northern Railroad reportedly fired an employee because the man's name was Spittles. 
The servants at J.P. Morgan's London residence nightly prepared dinner, turned down the bed, and laid out night clothes for their master, even when he was known beyond a doubt to be 3,000 miles away in New York. The industrialist John M. Longyear, distributed or disturbed by the opening of a railroad line past his Michigan residence, had the entire estate packed up. 60-room house, hedges, trees, shrubs, fountains, the works, and re-erected it in Brookline, Massachusetts. This is my favorite one. James Golden, James Golden Bennett, a newspaper baron, linked liked to announce his arrival in a restaurant by yanking the tablecloths from all the tables he passed. He would then hand the manager a wad of cash with which to compensate his victims for their lost meals and spattered attire. (sighs) Not a magician. (laughs) Though long forgotten in his native land, Bennett and his exploits, invariably involving prodigious drinking before and lavish restitution after, were once world famous, and indeed his name lives on in England in the cry of Gordon Bennett, usually uttered by someone who has just been drenched by a clumsy waiter or otherwise exposed to some exasperating indignity. The indulgences of the rich became all the more insufferable when contrasted with the miserable condition of those laborers sustaining their wealth. Through the 1860s, workers in factories, or manufactories, as they were uh, still often called, routinely worked 16-hour days, six days a week, for less than 20 cents a day. (laughs) Often they were paid in scrip, which they could only spend at the factory store. Workplaces were often ill-lit, ill-heated, and filled with dangerous machineries and perilous substances. A physician in the mill town of Lawrence, Massachusetts, noted that just after the turn of the century, 36% of factory workers there didn't live to see their 25th birthdays. As America prospered, less attractive words entered the language, like slum, a word of uncertain origin, but probably based on a British dialectical variant of slime, and sweatshop, commonly shortened to sweater, and first recorded in 1867, and tenderloin for a less salubrious for less salubrious areas of the city. This last name has been traced to a New York policeman who announced upon us being assigned to the district around 42nd Street that the opportunities for graft would enable him to stop eating ground beef and switch to tenderloin. The obvious pun on a prostitute's salient anatomical feature no doubt helped reinforce the term. Older words, too, sometimes took on new, more sinister meanings. Tenement originally described any tenanted dwelling. In America, where only poor lived in share housing, it had, by the 1840s, taken on the sense of crowded, fetid building inhabited by the lowest orders. See, there have been rich dicks around since the beginning of time. The funny part is that we were the laborers before, and then we just moved it to other countries. So yeah, there's still people working for 20 cents a day. And who who is uh, benefiting off that? Oh, yeah! Oh, the one, the one. The one per one percent. Stop it! Really? I I specifically love James Gordon Bennett, America's first douchebag. Yes, douchebaggery abounds in the late 1800s with Gordon Bennett yanking tablecloths. I mean, I can just see it. It's like um, 
And I've seen, I even see it here in the Mission District when people with money uh, want to act like dicks at the bar. They just throw, they throw money around. Like if they start yelling in a bar and they're too loud, they, they give the bartender a 20 and say, hey, that's, does that excuse my yelling? Just throw money at the problem. It'll go away. That's the American way, everybody. Yay. Yay, America. Um, so I've been reading this book and it's really wonderful because it's, it's one of my favorite history books obviously because it's about language and I sincerely love language uh, and and all language is political so that you know this all this all gets a back around everybody uh, especially to Marxism yay uh, I, you know I'm I am really afraid of what's going on my wonderful partner in life uh, Jonathan every morning uh, wakes me up with the news on his cell phone and I'm just so glad that I don't have a smartphone so that I don't have to uh, know what's going on because it is really really scary um, and the you know the haves and the have-nots are uh, are right in there I want to get to some Marxism that we like I have a bunch of underlined passages from my recent studies uh, into Marxism, and we'll, uh, that stuff, that, some of it is just, it, it's probably the most difficult book I've ever tried to read and, and understand. I mean, Nietzsche's thus book, Zarathustra, I enjoy because it's allegorical, like, allegorical philosophy is easier for me. Uh, Sartre, I love um, his plays. I uh, love No Exit. I had the opportunity to produce that uh, in 2002, I think. Uh, and I, I, and hell is other people. And I love Jean Paul Sartre because he's able to get his philosophical ideas through with you know literature, fiction, uh, and and theater, and and that's more digestible for me as opposed to just like straight philosophy. Uh huh. Oof. Private property servitude. Here we go. Let's read this. Uh, uh, forcing up of wages, disregarding all other difficulties, including the fact that it would only be by force, too, that the higher wages, being an anomaly, could be maintained, would therefore be nothing but better pavement, better payment for the slave, and would not conquer either, conquer either for the worker or for labor their human status and dignity. Indeed, even the equality of wages demanded by Proudhon only transforms the relationship of the present-day worker to his labor into the relationship of all men to labor. Society is then conceived as abstract capitalist. Wages are a direct consequence of estranged labor, and estranged labor is the direct cause of private property. The downfall of one aspect must therefore mean the downfall of the other. From the relationship of estranged labor to private property, it further follows the emancipation of society from private property, etc., from servitude, is expressed in the political form of the emancipation of the workers. Not that their emancipation alone was at stake, because the emancipation of workers contains universal human emancipation, and it contains this because the whole of human servitude is involved in the relationship of the worker to production, and every relation of servitude is but a modification and consequence of this action. 
Just as we have found the concept of private property from the concept of estranged alienated labor by, ana by analysis, the same way every category of political economy can be evolved with the help of these two factors. And we shall find again in each category, e.g. trade, competition, capital, money, only a definite and developed expression of the first foundations. Before considering this configuration, however, let us try to solve two problems. One, to define the general nature of private property and as it has arisen as a result of estranged labor and its relation to truly human social property. Whew. Okay, so Marx is like, no private property. That's the problem, right? No private property because it, it, it changes your relationship to labor because then you aren't working to create products for sustenance and for life of all, but you're creating you're creating labor to make wages to buy, to potentially buy personal capital or personal uh, uh, personal property. Now, here's the thing that's crazy is when we look at the uh, if we go back to the to the Declaration of Independence uh, and then into the Constitution. Uh, all right. When in the course of human events becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which has connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth a separate and equal equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind require that they should declare their causes which impel them to separate. Okay. So this is the original. Blah blah blah. blah. Okay. So. Uh, what is less well known is that these words were not entirely Jefferson's. George Mason's recently published draft of the Vir Virginia Declaration of Rights provided what we most charitably call liber liberal inspiration. Consider perhaps the most famous line of the Declaration. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable, un unalienable, inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, this is compared with Mason's Virginia Declaration. It doesn't say anything about private property there, but it does here. All men are born equally free and independent and have certain inherent natural rights of which they cannot by any compact deprive or divest their posterity, among which are the enjoyment of life and liberty with the means of acquiring and possessing property and pursuing and obtaining happiness and safety. Woo! It is just saying like capitalism. Uh, and it, it, it's crazy to me because happiness and property should not be in the same like why does happiness have to, why do we as americans take happiness and equate it with property and things and the accumulation of stuff which is what makes us uh gives us that happiness and safety and then right there all men are created equal it says nothing about women and that only certain people were considered men then which is crazy because it's like 300 years ago and we were still dealing with the i mean Slavery wasn't that long ago, folks, like literal slavery. And the thing is, it still exists. That's the silly thing is we're like, yeah, slavery's over. But we are still enslaved by our system. We're currently enslaved. Everybody, I mean, money isn't even real. This is the thing that's crazy to me is that what the banks do and the creation of money and loans and like, ah, man, it's so difficult and, and confusing for me. Pursuit of happiness may be argued 
to succinct improvement over pursuing and obtaining happiness and safety. But even in that compelling phrase wasn't original with Jefferson. Pursuit of happiness has been coined by John Locke almost a century before and has appeared frequently in political writings ever since. Nor that the words in that famous inspiring sentence, the ones that Jefferson penned, his original version shows considerably less grace and even more verbosity. We hold these truths to be sacred and unalienable, that all men are created equal and independent, that from equal creation they derive rights inherent and inalienable among them, which are preservation of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. So they kind of, this pursuit of happiness thing, like, I'm glad that they took the literal property out of the Declaration of Independence, but somehow the pursuit of happiness has, we've, we've inexorably linked it with private property. And I'm a renter, so, and even when I owned a house, it was still, I didn't own it, the bank owned it. Like, we were so in debt. I mean, we, we bought a house in San Diego, my ex-husband and I, it was $650,000 and it was a three bedroom house. And at the time I thought it was so small. And now that I live in this tiny apartment, I'm like, how did I clean that place? Like, how did I even, I have no idea how I cleaned that 1500 square foot. It had this beautiful rooftop deck that looked over the big canyon, the Tecolote Canyon. I, I'm, I'm reminiscing a little for it just because, you know, I really loved that view. Um, but it wasn't that's the thing is we've the bank still owned it we didn't even own it but we were slaves to our jobs at that point we had to work our jobs we had we had to be there every morning we didn't have any freedom or pursuit of happiness because we were chasing the wages and the, and then we were watching a lot of tv because it was just so numbing i i feel like what's happening right now is has been in place and planned for so long is that uh, in the early 2000s and I say this all the time, if you guys are AltaCast listeners, thank you, but uh, I mean, I know my diatribe gets tiresome. But the systematic culling of critical thought from our public education system from 2000 through 2008 under the auspices of No Child Left Behind, boy was that scary. And that's what got me out of being a public education teacher. I was a credentialed school teacher with California schools. I taught uh, special ed, uh, emotionally disturbed students with emotional disturbance. Uh, and and it was great, and I felt like I was helping a lot of kids, but in 2001, I had to get out because I saw what No Child Left Behind was going to do. It's very similar to what I'm seeing now with 45's scary, scary um, ordinance. Just, why are we in... Da- why? Has, the, has the president always had this much power and just nobody's been wielding it so egregiously like is is that what's happening but okay so back to the we cold critical thought and so now we have a whole nation of dummies that voted because well four to five he's he's rich he can make all of us rich no because capitalism isn't about everybody that's socialism you see capitalism is about competition and then all the rich people think they're entitled to be rich because I got here myself by stepping on all the backs of everyone else. That's how it works, everybody. So if you want to make a lot of money, get ready to be a fucking asshole because that's the only way to do it is to fuck over everyone. Don't worry about Bangladeshi people. They're not people. I always use Bangladesh just because of the whole clothing issue that we have with um, our fast fashion and our disregard of of labor and um 
I mean, sewing garments is a real skill. It is, everybody. It's real labor. It's real. Um, you know, and it seems like, I mean, I can't sew. I can hand sew, but I can't machine sew. That's a real skill. What is, you know, being a businessman? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, on a, I'm on a super rant. We should get to some more. We should get to some more music here on Mutiny Radio. Uh, LaToya, the Sheriff of Truth, should be coming in in just a moment so that we can get to some real news as opposed to my historical historical fictions. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, I mean, but that's the thing is it, it is it is historical fiction. I mean, to the winner gets the spoils. Uh, hey, let's think about the uh, let's think about the Declaration of Independence. How can we understand it better? Ah, through rap, everyone. Of course we can. Why not? The Declaration of Independence rap. For us to break it off, some call us revolutionaries We got God given our IGHTS Nevertheless, we won't rest Hungry for life, freedom, and happiness So whenever the government gets puffed up and too strong, I'm gone These usurpations, man, they're so wrong It's on, we won't leave without a reason And when it comes to liking the king I guess you could say I'm guilty of treason, bruh The list of grievances go on and on and on In our hood, he's refused to ascend to his laws For the common good, he should When we pass a law, the king won't sign it Too frustrate and control us, homie You can't deny it Them soldiers in our crib, drinking our rum And if you let him in for free, boy, you be done he won't let new settlers come to America He wants all the natives to attack us, I ain't scared of them Man, I'll be blowing up these rules like where the bomb at He picks our judges and officials, plus he wants to tax Without permission, he ain't worthy, I'm serious This'll make a brother go delirious like Steve Aoki I got more grievances, just trust me My homies love me They call me Tommy G, I want to free on it Grab your feather and your ink Here, just sign on it we won't stand for tyranny, we just sign on it. We're standing firm against these acts, we just sign on it. Let's go in our freedom back. I try to tell him just stop whenever I can, but he said no. I'm so keyed up. I wrote this whole thing with my own hand. I'm talking about the declaration, folks. So sign up to make sure there's no political connection to England at all. We're independent states. It says that we are now free, but what does this create? A war that won't quit until we're on top, chief. Okay, you read that. If not, I'll get John Hancock. What's up? I'll go and get Ben. Don't forget John Blair, John Dickinson, Jacob man Robert Morris. You never heard of them, you want more, here they are. Rufus King, George Reed, they're all superstars. We know that God sees what we do is right. He sees our struggle, pain, and toil that goes with our plight. Player, we conclude that we are now free. From Great Britain and her king, sign on with me. Sign on it. Grab your feather and your ink. Here just sign on it. 
stand for tyranny You just sign on it We're standing firm against these acts You just sign on it Let's go win our freedom back Right, that was the Declaration of Independence rap song. Yay! I am now joined by Latoya, the Sheriff of Truth. Yay! Yay, you made it. Yay! I had to go to the lady doctor. Yeah. Yeah. How did that go? You uh, you said there were some insurance snafus. Yeah, so um, my new insurance through my job does not cover mammograms, pap smears, any of that, lady parts. How is that possible? It, it's, I... It's so stupid. Mammograms? I, that's like cancer screening. Exactly. And Pap smear is another cancer screening. What, they want you to get cancer in your lady parts? It's right. going to be more expensive later. I, 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 I was baffled by it, and it really pissed me off because there is, um, in the insurance that I have, Transamerica, um, that's the name of the insurance that I have, um, there is a waiver for, like, you know, um, you know, drug rehabilitation and mental illness, but there's not a waiver for woman parts lady that's parts. insane it's it part really, of our physiology so when i go to work today i'm going to mention that to my managers and then a lot of my managers are women oh, so wow. i'm going to say something i'm like do you have you and i went home i i read the packet and i was surprised about like i have to pay this i have to pay for my lady doctor now wow do men do um but do do, do men get ball coverage? Do they get to have? I do, do they get to have? Uh, y- y- do they people get to look at their penis I if did. they have un- urinary tract infection? I'm or sure they're. I'm sure they're bladder fine. cancer or yeah. something. I didn't see. I didn't see like because when I I ran back home to like get my card and read the quote and I didn't see any anti man stuff. So how much does a Pap smear cost? Um, I remember when I used to get it when I didn't have insurance um, at Plant Parenthood. I still would pay like a, maybe a hundred dollars wow. because of uh, my income. Come, um, but I'm just uh, my bill now is going to be probably like maybe near two hundred dollars. Wow! Probably. I need to set up my um, my next lady part examination thing. I need to get my Pap smear. I need to have them. I've never had a mammogram, and one of my really really good friends was just diagnosed uh, with stage two breast cancer, and um, she is uh, and she said, "Hey." Go go get one because we're the same age and I've been afraid because I know it's going to hurt. Oh no, it doesn't hurt. Oh, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt? hurt. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, that's this, it's, it's not, I, I got one in my twenties for some reason, um, at Plant Parenthood. Um, it doesn't hurt. It actually feels, it feels good to me. All right. But okay. So then just, I won't be so afraid. That's the yeah. only reason I haven't gotten one yet. Yeah. I mean, you, they just put your boob in like two metal know, plates and squish it. Shit. Yeah. But it's like, it's kind of like a tickling feeling to oh me. Oh my God. You're so <laughs> hardcore. <laughs> I like going to the lady doctor too because I think pat smears are fun. Oh my God, you're insane. Uh, Yeah, I need to go get that done. I actually need to make my appointment now because I'm going to do it in March after the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival because it just... You know, it's so, it's just so crazy. It's, yeah, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Absolutely. The festival is coming. Yeah, you're going to be our, uh, our spotlight tomorrow. Uh, every day on the 
on the festival page and all th all the festival pages in the station. I'm highlighting one host a day and then doing the direct ticket link to them. So, you know, their bio, other shows that they're in, blah, 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 like the show that you're putting together. Well, you have so many shows upcoming. This Friday, yeah, you're on a show here at Pamtastics. I can't wait to talk about my exes three through seven. Right, yeah. It's, the the show is called My Strange X on February 10th here. Kind of, you know, it's in the middle between the, the Valentine's Day. And I didn't want to do a specifically like Valentine's Day thing. But I figured let's talk about ex relationships you people have had. And that'll be fun. That'll be a fun date night. It's a little like intro to, it, it, I think it's the fun side and the dark side of what love is, is or what can well, you can put up with and and i hate valentine's day because it's it's a Ditto. it's just so stupid it's it's it, it's it's an it's an economy thing it's a it's Thank a capitalist you. thing it's a it's a if you really love someone you're gonna buy them a gift i hate chocolate you hate seeing i love chocolate see i hate chocolate but i this is the thing i understand i just gonna i'm buy my own chocolate what's the point of forcing people to buy gifts for me for each other it's like a zero sum right you buy a gift they buy a gift so why don't you just buy yourself something or not buy anything and say i love you i how about <laughs> how about you just show love all year round why i mean why is it got to be like uh, a capitalist show of love yes that's because that's how we show in america that's how we show that we have worth value to other people it's the collection of things and stuff it's showing people through monetary means that they mean something to you we're all about money we're all about capitalism and even our love is shown in a capitalist light it's oh, sick absolutely. it's terrible so you know and he smacks you in the end of the night yeah boy boy boycott <laughs> um Boyc VD. Boycott VD. Or just buy yourself some chocolate if you like chocolate. I'm going to go out and buy myself some chocolate. Because I love C's candy. I'm a, I'm a sick pervert for You know C's what candy. else I'm doing that day? Besides like making people laugh and seeing other people crush hopes and dreams that night. I'm going to see a therapist. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm, and a life coach. And a life coach. <laughs> I'm going to go see a therapist life coach. It's together. Yeah. Wow, they're pairing it up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think I don't think you. Well, for all of you guys, if you don't want to uh, have any therapy on Valentine's Day, you can come to Buzzworks at seven o'clock. Latoya is putting together a great show with great comedians. Pam's going to be I'm, there. I'm, I'm one of them. Uh, Timothy Pizza of uh, Pervert Fervor and some call me Tim. He will also be there, uh, among other fantastic comedians. And it's um, seven o'clock at Buzzworks. And it's Laughing Monk Brewery. Yeah, it's so Beer Week. It's, it's beer, week. beer Week. It's SF Beer Week. There's going to be great beer. There's going to be great comedy. It's something fun to do on Valentine's Day without it being Absolutely. like lame. Or, you know what? Take a friend. Hey, ladies. Take take a girlfriend. Go out. See some. Don't don't be sad at home on a Tuesday. Say, oh, it's Valentine's Day. No one bought me any chocolate. <laughs> go buy yourself some beer. Go have a good time at Buzzworks with us. We're fun people. It's going to be a great show. We'll turn your life upside down. We'll turn your life inside out. Upside down. Boy, you got me. me. That's, is that, it's the pap smear song. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They sit round and round. Yeah, then they just take those oh, cells uh, out your uterus, out your cervix. Yeah. It's a, sorry. She's got that a little. So, I'm sorry. You guys okay down there? Are you yes. okay? It's going to be okay. That I'm scared. I'm what sorry. is what? Thank you. What scared you this week besides uh, finding out about oh my your? God, every, everything. Everything. Everything I know, that I know. 
I, I try to avoid the news. I don't. I try. And Huffington Post just has me hooked. It's like a bad soap opera that we're living in. And every day is something new that's with our government. But on the lighter side, um, did you see the SNL, uh, Melissa, uh, what's her name? Uh, she did uh, Sean Spicer. No, I, 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 you know what? I don't, I haven't been watching the SNLs. Well, yeah, I don't watch SNL, but Ooh, it's just been like in my, uh, my news feed. Oh, okay. And good. so like M- Melissa McCarthy did a great Sean Spicer. So that was like the highlight. Oh, and my aunt is here from the Middle East. I so saw that picture. Yeah. I saw that lovely picture of you two. I always uh, stalk your Facebook like a weird oh, little troll. Because you're making sure I'm doing my part. <laughs> no, no, that's not it at all. I, I, you're in my feed and I, well, I look at your pretty pictures and I find out what you're doing. And I already apologized at the beginning of the show for... When I first announced that you were um, going to be uh, a little late because of the the lady doctor, I I initially I said you know the lovely I, I I commented on your on your on your physical beauty and then I had to apologize to our listeners and say it's not she is more than that. Uh, her I shouldn't always refer to you because and I, it's just that I am also a misogynist because I grew up here in America where I was taught that that's what women's worth is is somehow their physical beauty and so therefore I constantly comment on it and I need to sort of cull that and stop doing that. I'll take it. She'll still take it. Uh, Yeah. So uh, but here we are on the cast. So you haven't been paying attention to anything 45's been doing? Uh, Yes I have. Oh okay Uh, good because I haven't. I I have and I just opened a beer. Yeah yeah do your thing. Yeah. um, it's sad, and uh, we're living in it. It's yeah. a bad soap opera. It's, a, it's and it, but it's the education director now. I mean, it's just getting so scary. That is the conflict of interest, by the way. She donated so much money to his campaign. Why is, why aren't, uh, I know why the Republicans aren't looking at this. It's money. But the fact of the matter is just like, there are people that are distancing themselves uh, from this man, some of the Republicans, some, not all. Right. There are some people that drink the Cheeto juice. Um, gross. I know, isn't it? Cheeto juice. Ew. Ew. Gross. Ew. I wonder what he's going to do for VD, for Melania. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, she's a, tr- I don't think she's a real person. I, I've decided now, actually, she, she's not, she's actually an AI. She's actually um, artificial intelligence. No, I've absolutely decided. That's why um, she's not a real person. And, and that's why she doesn't, her English is kind of funky, is that she was made over there in Slovenia, and they haven't fixed the, um, the chip yet that helps her have the fluent English. I, I think he beats her. Well, that's either here. We, I don't think he does. No, no, I really don't. He has uh, small hands. Th- that's how they the copy paste. Um, they tried to copy paste Michelle Obama's speech, uh, and th- that's the problem. Is they were just copy pasting and they were putting it into her into her own um, fake alien, not alien, artificial intelligence brain. Uh, and they really worked so well. The skin is so realistic. I, I'm really impressed. I just, you know, I I feel I kind of feel bad for her because she's still in New York. And their little by uh, her choice, by her choice, by her choice, and um, so is um, the little future asshole son. Uh, they're both in New York, and he's by himself in the White House. Well, he's not by himself. It's his the, the first lady this time is supposed to be Ivanka. 
his daughter is yeah. going to be representing for the first lady, which is gross and weird, and different <laughs> and so new. weird. You know, he's trying to. He, you know, he's trying to fuck her. You know, he has. I mean. This is like some Caligula, well, not even Caligula, that's just shit's nasty. I don't even understand how we've allowed 45, and we're still, it's only been like two weeks, and all these changes have been made. It's not even been six months. That's, mm. a, that's a sad thing. And these and changes can go on for your, a long time. Have you talked to your parents about this, or your dad? No, or, but he sent me the most disturbing meme memes I can even if you I mean I was uh, it's in my junk I'll, I'll go through my I deleted it right away but I'll go through it because because your dad voted I mean you did not str- vote for Cheeto Cheeto for thir- 45 but he does he, he still is he's, he's a staunch Republican but he still didn't vote for Cheeto because he knew that Cheeto is not smart right because Cheetos aren't smart. They're bad for you. They're very bad for you. <laughs> They're very, very bad. Let's see if I can find this in Did you my... know that he's afraid of stairs? Really? Yes. Well, because I... well, he's... And that's the thing is no one's really talked about, like, what a fatty he is. He's... Yeah. And I was He's reading, like the fattest... He, he's, he's the fattest president in a very long time. Yeah, yeah. He does... He loves McDonald's. Um, he drink. Gross. By the way, he, ha- he likes a steak well done. Ooh, that's not... How do you eat a steak well done? It's gross. It doesn't even taste like you don't, meat It anymore. doesn't taste like you get it medium. You get it rare, r- medium rare. Medium will be the most. You say, I always tell the chef what you think is safe. And it ain't well done. And it ain't well done. No, How no, you no. gonna have a hockey puck? That's, it's, it's no, that's, that's the reason, the reason that I left, I was vegetarian for 13 years and the reason I stopped being a vegetarian is that I overcooked a T-bone I made this, I bought this amazing T-bone steak for my ex-husband when we were married for Valentine's Day actually and um, coincides coincides. and I spent all this money, I, I mean it was like you know, a $25 steak, right and I brought it home, and a T-bone if everybody doesn't know the history on it, one side is a Hi. filet mignon and the other side is the sirloin and then there's a bone in the middle and so I'm cooking this steak for my ex-husband and I just I I overcooked it like I cooked it for like 25 minutes something ridiculous Ah. and I was so hurt and so sad I cried and cried and he's like it's okay it's okay and I was like Ike and I realized I can never be a vegetarian unless I I I can never be a chef if I'm a vegetarian because I have to know how to denature protein through heat and if I didn't know that because I didn't eat it and so I just stopped being vegetarian I was like it's I'm the just not going to do it. So for 13 years. Wow. I was a vegetarian for 13 years. And to, much to my parents' dismay, they that really, really bothered them. That really, <laughs> really bothered them. Uh, here's some terrible things my father sent me today in memes. Uh, the first one, this is, and I... I I, I deleted, I was like, oh, it made me really upset. So you'll love this one. Uh, first, there's women who are in uniform with guns. And it says, look, they're marching for women's right. rights. Isn't that cute? <laughs> and that makes me so angry because it's like, <sighs> it's terrible. It's terrible on so many, so many levels. And it's called patriot humor, which is awful. Um, <laughs> that is not patriot. Uh, here's another one. There's um, the founding fathers, or not the founding fathers, just, there's um, Abraham Lincoln here. And he says, some Democrats refused to attend Lincoln's inauguration too. Because they also didn't want to end slavery. And I'm like, um, yeah, but we're actually enslaving 
people. Okay. Uh, here's here's the here's the worst one. There's a picture of a uh, fat fatty forty five, and it says, "Time to trade in those free Obama phones for alarm clocks." You this jerks. Is what your da- this, this is what my dad, dad sent me. Yeah. And so th- for those that don't understand what they're saying is, oh, all you lazy people who got free Obama phones, time for you to go to work. First of Oh, by the way, um, I always wear this shirt. You guys in the radio land can't see it, but it's my Nancy Reagan. Just say yo. Of just say no. Because I was part of that, you know, the... 80s kids that would just say no yeah yeah just say no and the fact that matters like we've come a long way <laughs> from I can't believe we're going I'm, back to draconian drug laws though we, yes, we finally had case. some steps in the right direction with drug policy reform and with the legalization of marijuana and now they're going to try to turn it back and why because they have some moralistic stance there's nothing wrong with marijuana <laughs> okay so when you started getting this the, when we started doing the drug uh, uh, our, our, our segment on that almost a year ago correct yes there was like light at the end of the tunnel absolutely and I remember like when we were talking about this especially in the summertime mm-hmm. you know we were talking about like how like a lot of uh, states during the time of the election were looking toward uh, medical marijuana or what have you that light is very very dim six months later isn't that crazy like we were I just I mean yeah we were high-fiving running around we're like legalize the marijuana because we know the history of marijuana and we know that the reason that it was demonized was an economic reason in the 30s because of DuPont making nylon ropes that from petrochemicals and they didn't want to have and in Mexicans they didn't want to have hemp ropes on all the ships going into World War II no of course not they wanted to have petrochemicals to make money for industry and so of course you demonize something that is you know can be grown easily and that could anyway. and plus black people like to smoke weed so let's like so, yeah. them for that you know and, 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 well everyone likes to smoke weed I mean it's I mean, not even a, it shouldn't even be it's not and the thing is it's just like it's uh, we're going backwards and it's just like if it does is this what the 60s feel like because I don't like this shit minus the like Jim this. Crow stuff but the thing is we're smarter than the Jim Crow stuff we just we don't have to put signs up anymore but so that's i mean that's what we're living in here's the idiocy this is one more my dad women too you're part of jim crow this is the worst one my father sent me this is the worst one there's a picture of the women's march and it says trump got more women exercising in one day than michelle obama did in eight years dad yeah i'm like dad 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 bad dad bad bad dad bad 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 dad not funny not funny um you come you came out of a woman I just want to let you know that, Dad. Well, and the thing is, I feel terrible because I'm sure that if he heard I my Melania you, Dad, joke, but I love you, Dad. But if he heard my Melania joke, he'd feel the same way. He'd be like, "How dare you?" Blah blah blah. And I'm like, "Well, the- he beats her." Yeah, <laughs> we, we just we like to create slander yeah, here yeah. on the Alta Cast. And I, hope, I, ho- I hope the government is listening. To Here's this another show. one. This is another one. Another picture of the Women's March, and this is awful. Meanwhile, one million men enjoy a quiet afternoon. Dad. Dad, bad. Bad, dad. Dad, bad. Bad. bad, Don't spread. The thing is, and I'm spreading these memes around too, but what I'm saying is the enemy, the enemy is saying terrible things. It's like, let's just all embrace misogyny. We just, everyone loves to hate women. Okay, can we, let me just pause and stop for a moment. Okay, so when I was a little girl and a teenager in the 90s, I don't remember all this 
hatred toward women i don't remember this i remember more of like a lot of empowerment it was still going on don't get me wrong i'm i know sexism was going on but this hatred and this war on women I don't, I don't, where, where the fuck is this coming from? I, I know. You come out of a woman and you can, this is how you disrespect your mother? I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it either. I don't understand. I don't, I don't remember like having these discussions. I just remember the discussions that I was having as a teenager and a, uh, growing up of, you know, we need to stick together make sure as a woman you're going to have to work as a black woman you're going to have to work harder and stronger and don't you know you always you, you choose your path right that's what i remember and 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 the fact of the matter is this war on women now i don't i, I it's uh, hey, yeah, we had we had visitors here. We in have all visitors. The guests. That was awesome. Thanks for coming yeah, in, guys. Thanks for listening to our our ranting and rolling. Our rants and raves. I'm a real feminist. I promise. Yeah. No, well, why this? Why this sudden hatred toward women? And why? And it's not just hatred. It's somehow it's demeaning our minds. The whole pro-choice argument stems on that I know what's right for my life. Don't impose your morality on my life. How is I that happening? To not or to have. Right. And sometimes accidents happen. Sometimes rape happens. Sometimes rape happens. There's all kinds of reasons. We have this crazy thing that makes babies. We don't have to read the Bible and think that all women have to be fruitful and multiply. That is one text. That is one religious component that we don't have to follow. We don't all... Because it's basically saying if you're not fruitful and multiply, that you're not a woman, that you're not somehow... That there's you. this moral imperative that women are supposed to be just baby makers. Well, first of all, even, even with my insurance, I felt this. Right. Because this is what I'm talking about. Because exactly, it's just like, why is my body not important to you? Right. If you're so worried about like you know me as well, supposedly me as in general my body is not a priority and i i saw that with my insurance that i pay for my paycheck right my mm. body is not a priority uh, my ban my body is not like a man's the thing sci it's scientifically a fact that women's bodies operate different from men and so why my body is not covered in my own insurance so i'm not a person no so you're not a person so and, and that's what that is what we're living in today of the fact that matter is like well you know i don't know what to tell you you're gonna have to pay cough up two hundred dollars that yeah i can be, afford to be, it to be safe but i don't i can't afford it right I just, it's, it's gonna put me behind exactly because I get paid less. Right. Because I'm a woman. Well, and because, and it all goes down to labor in that why isn't... I'm getting so mad. Service service <laughs> labor, any labor is not equitable somehow to the served, but you can't have the served... It's why... My, my thing always goes down to this, that the equality of labor. Labor is labor is labor. And why do we value certain labor more than others? And why, why we, we talked about that last week? Too. Yeah, yeah, it's it's what it all comes down to. It's it's a Marxist train of thought. Is that but we live in a capitalist society where it's all about competition and it's all about making wages. But wages are slavery because it takes the labor out of your own hands and out of your own making, and it turns it into wages 
so that you can have capital so that you can buy things to show your worth it's it's a terrible cycle that only certain people get ahead in and there are so many american consumers and that's all we are to them right now we are little ants and they just want us to buy 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 and and that's the thing is go buy a new iphone (laughs) but here's the thing how are we going to be able to buy anything for poor Right. Well, because that's what this administration is going to end up doing to us, making us all poor. Right. You can't have a thriving economy when everyone is dirt poor. Right. That's just basic. But they want us to. They just. They want us to consume. They want to keep us. Just. It. They're. Con, we're confused because. You know. People are here, no, This with is. Money. You're going to love this. So last night, I decide to check my food stamp balance and I call up my number, but they changed the food stamp number, and I'm not kidding you. They were commercials for DirecTV on my old food stamp number. Oh, hell no. And I was like, excuse me? Can't now, here's afford, the thing. Can't I can't, I don't, no, that's the thing. Is that, and I have food stamps because I don't have, I don't have cable at my house. I don't have internet at my house because it's not in my budget. I don't buy cigarettes because they're not in my budget. I don't buy deodorant because it's not in my budget. I use my food stamps to get my um, baking soda. It, I call it my artist stipend because my work as an artist is not monetarily valued right now in San Francisco or as a society. My work is real, but it does not make any money. Therefore, your work is real to me. Thank you. Therefore, I have uh, my food stamps, which help me live in this really and expensive city and eat healthy and know how to cook and um, how to hustle. With, kn- know how to, to hustle with what I have, but the concept that the number of my food stamps would be giving me commercials for direct Direct TV and for phones and for all kinds of weird things to buy. And that is wrong. That's the thing is, I don't have the money to spend. I don't have the money to buy anything. That's why I don't buy things. That's why I have food stamps. Because that means you'll be in debt the whole time. How you... That okay. I'm sorry. I didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I'm no, no. sorry. I know That's it's just, unbelievable. First of all, I when I had Direct TV, I had I my I paid my portion and my roommates was seventy two dollars each month. That's a that's over $140 that we were paying for like four years and then we finally got smart and said we need to cut this out because we have all these channels and still ain't shit on TV and we actually need to be doing other things than watching TV in the fucking first place being desensitized to what's going on $150 that's insane $150 a month for TV see now I even have a dumb phone because I can't I, I pay $25 a month for unlimited texting and calling and thank God I don't have a smartphone but to try to sell me a smartphone on my food stamps number and you know I can't afford it and you know I can't afford it that's the thing is the reason I don't have and my boyfriend's now like we should get internet at the house he's like it's only gonna be like 50 bucks a month and I'm like okay so when did we when did I start making more money to put more things in my budget I didn't I'm actually making less money than I was last year so I can't just start willy-nilly buying internet I use it here and the the thing is it's just like here this is the setup it's a setup setup. it's a setup setup because those people who can't afford direct tv who get it they're like oh i could and it's some like nice price too that they give you for about like eight months right 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 and then they raise it and they jack it up and so then once your shit gets cut off your shit goes to the creditors and so you have this 
bill that is unpaid, but you, you're, you're going to have to pay eventually sometime. They Because they so call that, and they call. You start becoming friends with those people. Exactly. You're like, so, hey, Susan. Yeah. Yeah, not going to pay today. Don't Still you, don't have any money. It's a perfect setup for perfect you setup. to fail. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. I can't believe these motherfuckers. Speaking Sorry. of failing, I know. Speaking of failing... Uh, that's what's going to happen to all of our students because the new secretary, secretary of Education is Betsy DeVos. Um, this is an article uh, from Business Insider, and it says Al Franken slams new Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos, He's the awesome. most incompetent cabinet-level nominee I have ever seen. I'm a huge fan of Al Franken. I've enjoyed him uh, as a writer. He's a great writer. He's a great writer. He was on SNL. He was a writer for. Uh, he's been. He was a writer for Clinton, I believe. Yeah. He's been, and he has a lot of books out. He's now um, a senator, which is amazing. And uh, I, I Minnesota. Really, I got to meet him once. He was so Did great uh, in San Diego. I bought his book, and uh, he spoke. And it was this huge room, and it was amazing because he said, "I will stay and sign every last one of your books." And he stayed, and he signed every last one of oh, our books. Got to meet him. I got to meet him. To I got to shake him. his hand. I have a picture with him, and it was great. Uh, after Betsy DeVos was confirmed as Secretary of Education on Tuesday, Democratic Senator Al Franken of Minnesota issued a blistering statement calling her unqualified for the job. It's not a job for amateurs who don't know the first thing about education, the statement said. I voted against the nomination of Betsy DeVos, a billionaire Republican donor, because she is the most incompetent cabinet member nominee I have ever seen. Franken's statement comes on the heels of one of the most contentious confirmation processes a secretary of education has ever seen. The position is typically confirmed without major opposition. An advocate for alternatives to public schooling, DeVos championed charter schools and and school voucher initiatives in her home state of Michigan, where she served as chairwoman of the state's Republican Party. Democrats have argued that she is unqualified to be Secretary of Education, mm-hmm. a view that centered on confirmation hearing in which DeVos was grilled on several issues and often gave vague answers or what she said she was currently unable to provide a response. In what was perhaps the most widely circulated exchange, when asked about guns on campuses, DeVos said guns could protect from potential grizzlies. This isn't the first time. It's, 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 it's right. I, I read about that. Yeah, this isn't the first time Franken has had harsh words for DeVos during DeVos's confirmation hearing in January. Franken said DeVos for her opinion, asked for DeVos, asked DeVos for her opinion on measuring student progress, specifically the debate about proficiency versus growth. When she appeared to get stuck on the answer, Franken criticized her for not knowing. Uh, what he believed to be a basic topic. This is a subject that has been debated in the education community for years, Franken said, and it surprises me that you don't know this issue. Uh, this is what uh, he... This is here was the here was the thing. Betsy DeVos, the choice of President-elect Donald Trump to lead the U.S. Department of Education, sparred with some lawmakers during her confirmation hearing on Tuesday. At one point, DeVos appeared to get stuck on a question asked by Senator Al Franken of Minnesota. Franken asked DeVos to clarify her position on measuring student progress, specifically the debate between proficiency versus growth. DeVos asked for clarification after first conflating the meanings of the two concepts. 
This is a subject that has been debated for years. Uh, let's listen to the exchange please, here. Please, 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 please. Yeah. This is ridiculous. So, yeah, we're... See, this is like something that he would have wrote... Oh, wait, here, here we go. Let's pause this and then start it he over. He would have wrote this on SNL. Well, it seems, it's, it seems as though it would be some sort of SNL uh, joke, something like that, but... Uh, alas, nay, it's real. Growth. And I would like your, your views on... Uh, the relative advantage of profit measuring, uh, doing assessments, and using them to measure proficiency or to measure, measure growth. Thank you, Senator, for that question. Um, I think if, if I'm understanding your question correctly around proficiency, I would, I would also um, correlate it to competency and mastery so that you, each student is measured according to the um, advancement that they're making in each subject area. Well, that's growth. That's not proficiency. So in other words, the growth they're making is in growth. The proficiency is if an arbitrary reached, if standard. If they reached a level, the proficiency is if they've reached a, a like third grade level for reading, et cetera. Is no, I'm talking mean? about the debate between proficiency and growth and yes. what, what your thoughts are on them. Well, I was just asking to clarify then. Well, this, um, is, this is a subject that is, has been debated in the education community for years. Indeed. And I've, I've advocated growth as the chairman and every member of this committee knows because with proficiency, uh, teachers uh, ignore the kids at the top mm -hmm. who are not gonna fall below proficiency and they ignore the kid at the bottom who no matter what they do will never get to proficiency. So I've been an advocate of growth, but it surprises me that you don't know this issue. And Mr. Chairman, I think this is a good reason for us to have more questions. Damn! Damn! Al Ooh, I'll Franken, 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 I will, I will sit on Al your face. Franken, Franken is so smart. He caught that bitch. She yeah, doesn't know anything, anything about education. She ain't smart. I know more about education than she does by because the, I was actually a credential school teacher for four years, and this cunt's never taught. Fuck you, Secretary by of the Education. Way, the people in Michigan. She doesn't know shit. Republicans and Democrats are very, very angry because she comes from the state of Michigan, where a lot of my friends are from, and this is what some of them they 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 say like this: she is not qualified, but he who shall not be named is not qualified to be elected either. Um, she has destroyed the education in Michigan by uh, privatizing schools and charter right, schools. Right, right, right. She has she comes from a wealthy family and knows nothing of public education. These yeah. are people in Michigan. Yeah. That's the state that she is from. Right. And Republicans and Democrats, just people in general, people don't they don't like her they don't they don't like this and i think maybe hopefully those people who voted for uh cheeto will probably start getting a wave call slowly when their their kids start splaling can't with a k <laughs> can't a with a k that's great well we know i mean the rich people they get to devise the language any way they want uh here let's, let's listen to the answer to the gun question the grizzly oh yes the grizzly this will be very funny this is, this is comedy here on AltaCast. Um, one final question. Do you think that guns have any place in or around schools? Uh, I think that's best left to locales and states to decide. 
if if the underlying question is um, you can't say that you can't say definitively today that guns shouldn't be in schools. Well, I, I will refer back to uh, Senator Enzi and the school that he was talking about in Wapiti, Wyoming. I think probably there, I, I would imagine that there's probably a gun in the school to protect from potential grizzlies. If President, if President Trump moves forward with his plan to ban gun-free school zones, will you support that proposal? Um, I will support what the president-elect does, but Senator, if, if the question is around um, gun violence and uh, the results of that, please know that I, I, my heart bleeds and, and is uh, broken for those families that have lost any individual due to gun violence. I look forward and to working with you, but I also look forward to you coming to Connecticut and talking about the role of guns in schools. Thank Ooh, damn. Oh. That was the Sandy Hook. Uh, that was the Sandy Hook moment. This Sandy Hook moment brought Don't to you, you by Betsy. <laughs> yeah, Betsy DeVos. It's like, which who's worse, Gorsuch or DeVos? There are so many problem people coming right now out of the administration and being, becoming the administration and becoming the cabinet, becoming the people that are going to shape policy for America for the next four years. Uh, man, uh, Pam, I have to tell you that this is uh, just comedy gold. That's, well, but we it, got, and isn't it scary? It, of, of shit. It shouldn't be. It's so scary to me that, okay, we might see it as comedy and we can we can look at this and say, oh, look, great, now I have jokes. Actually, I had, I, last Thursday, I did a Gorsuch joke and did my abortion jokes and I and I, I killed at the brainwash. Uh, people came up to me after and they're like, geez, that was a great set. And I was like, ah, oh, but I was just so inflamed about uh, pro-choice. And I am, so, I have to tell you, you know, I said before, if, if 45 was elected that I would leave the country and I told you would stay well and I've I've stayed for now because but Keep your coming here. if it's gonna just for the for the festival but if things start getting if all of these things are really coming to fruition and they are the Muslim ban the the, the wall the, the the repealing Roe v Wade I mean if Roe v Wade is repealed that means that it means shit. that I am that means that I am completely devalued as an American. I'm purpose. no longer a person. It means that you say that I am worth nothing, that I'm a fuck all nothing, that I'm not smart. I have two fucking masters and you're going to tell me what the fuck to do with my body? Fuck you! I might get Seriously, pregnant on purpose I am so, just to have an abortion. I am so angry. <laughs> I, I am so angry to be to be a woman right now and, and to see what's happening and to, that I welcome am worthless. Welcome to being black. But it, <laughs> welcome it feels... To, welcome it, to my territory. Wait, so you felt, so you, you felt worthless you, this whole time? This is insane to me. Yeah. I, I've, always felt, I've always felt this way. And, um, and, and plus my other side of me, the indigenous side, yeah. I will stay and fight because this is my land. And the other side of me is like, you brought me here, I'm going to stay. And I will the fight. terrible things that we've done to the Native Americans too. Oh, by the way, the Dakota uh, Access Pipeline is going on. No, it's going. They're going to. Yeah, no. of course. Why are you surprised? I'm not, I'm not surprised. Of course, with this with this administration, of course he's going to be like, yeah, just drill, just put it in there. On drill. that. Um, so yeah, I, I have to break the sad news that I found out too. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's um, it's going to affect. The fact of the matter, they, by the way, that there was a treaty for them not to put that pipeline on that land. 
It is a written document. Yeah. It's a contract uh, that no. you sign. But it's with an Indian, so we Indian give all the time. We're yeah. Indian givers. Exactly. So we, I, we I'm sorry but we coined it. It's a misnomer. It's such a misnomer. We're like it's an Indian gift, but we're the we. It's because we give to the Indians and constantly take away. We're just. This is great. Here's the here's the best story of how we fucked 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 an Indian, who was very helpful. Uh, this is. Uh, Sometimes the early explorers took Indians back to Europe with them. Such had been the fate of the heroic Squanto, whose life story reads like an implausible, picturesque novel. He had been picked up by a seafarer named George Weymouth in 1605 and carried off, whether voluntarily or not is unknown, to England. There he spent nine years working at various jobs before returning to the New World as an interpreter for John Smith on his voyage of 1613. As a reward for his help, Smith gave Squanto his liberty. But, uh, but no sooner had Squanto been reunited with his tribe than he and 19 of his fellows were kidnapped by another Englishman who carried them off to Malaga and sold them as slaves. Squanto worked as a house servant in Spain before somehow managing to escape to England where he worked for a time for a merchant in the city of London before finally in 1619 returning to the New World on yet another exploratory expedition of the New England coast. Altogether, he had been away for nearly 15 years, and he returned to find that only a short while before his tribe had been wiped out by a plague, almost certainly smallpox introduced by White visiting people. sailors. Sorry. Thus, Squanto had <laughs> certain grounds to be disgruntled. Not only had the Europeans inadvertently exterminated his tribe, but twice carried him off and once sold him into slavery. Fortunately for the pilgrims, Squanto was of a forgiving nature. Having spent the greater part of his adult life among the English, he may have well felt, felt more comfortable among Britons than among his own people. In any case, he settled with them for the next year until he died of a sudden fever, served as their faithful teacher, interpreter, ambassador, and friend. Thanks to him, the future of English in the New World was assured. Um, Thanks, Squanto. That and is his, why people. That's why white people like to talk about Squanto. That, that nigga was sad. And his real name, <laughs> yeah, his real name was. Pizza, you're 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 Italian. Yeah, you 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 were not liked here. And his real name was actually. <laughs> his name wasn't even really Squanto. It was like Tusquantum. Tusquantum. Yeah, it's like T S Q U. Not to come sub. His name. It was like Squanto Sacagawea. No, that wasn't it. It was like... That's another Indian hero. To come... Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate you. Um, it's Timothy Pizza that I'm yelling at you guys. Yeah, we, he's we, a, we turned his... We he's turned an his Italian dude, but his people weren't liked here either. Oh, speaking of people not liked here, uh, uh, the Super Bowl uh, commercial... Uh, oh, I didn't see any commercials, I, but I'd, I, I want to. Um, there was... A lot of the commercials um, were about um, immigrants. Really? And... I <laughs> yeah, but the one that a lot of people were starting to boycott was the Budweiser one, and the Budweiser uh, commercial talked about because Anheuser Busch is German, and they were talking about his story, huh? Um, coming here in, in like the 1850s, and um, him being like, there's a scene um, where someone says like, "Go back to where you came from." A oh. lot of White people, I'm going to say, did not like that. The go back to where you came from. Yeah, because that's how we was treated. It, this is the immigration of y- y'all got some self hatred um, here in America, 
and it was about the the hatred of like immigrants coming over here at that time and he was a German immigrant and that's what it talks wow. about immigration and what of course they you. make it of course they make it white oh the poor white guy but go no, back no, to where he came people from people were mad okay people good. were mad about this because it's telling a real it's a true story about immigration here in the United States and how people even of their kind were like it was it was a you know treat it horribly okay so and so like the whole thing was about you know a lot of people are like boycotting uh butt wiper which is a shitty that's a terrible beer anyways uh so this is this is more about uh how the um what the what we did to the indians when we we got here because they were here first and if the early American colonists treated the Indians' languages with respect, because we have a lot of words that come from their language, they did not always show such scruples with the Indians themselves. From the outset, they often treated the natives badly, albeit sometimes unwittingly. One of the first acts of the Mayflower Pilgrim, as we, as we have seen, was to plunder Indian graves. One wonders how many pilgrim, how the pilgrims would have felt if they found Indians picking through the graves of an English churchyard. Confused and easily frightened, the early colonists often attacked friendly tribes, mistaking them for hostile ones. Even when they knew the tribes to be friendly, they sometimes took hostages in the decidedly perverted belief that this would keep them respectful. When the circumstances were deemed to warrant it, they did not hesitate to impose a quite shocking severity. As a note from soldiers to the governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony during King Philip's War reminds us, quote, this aforesaid Indian was ordered to be torn to pieces by dogs, and she was so dealt with. Indeed, early accounts of American encounters with Indians tell us as much about the colonists' violence about as about the 17th century uh, orography. Orthography, I guess that's. For instance, here, for instance, is William Bradford describing a surprise attack on a Pequot village in the history of Plymouth Plantation. The victims, it may be noted, were mostly women and children. Those that escaped the fire were slain with the sword. Some hewed to pieces, others rune throned with rapiers, and so they were quickly dispatched. It was a fearful sight to see them thus frying in the fire. A horrible, and horrible was the stink and the scent thereof, but the victory seemed a sweet sacrifice. In 1675 in Virginia, John Washington, an ancestor of George, was involved in a not untypical incident in which the Indians were invited to settle a dispute by sending their leaders to a powwow. They sent five chiefs to Parley, and when things did not go the way the European settlers' satisfaction, the chiefs were taken away and killed. Even the most faithful Indians were treated as expendable. When John Smith was confronted by hostile savages in Virginia in 1608, his first action was to shield himself behind his native guide. Thanks. I hate that nigga John Smith. Whenever I meet a John Smith, I have a flashback. You have a flashback. You're like, Good name, bro. <laughs> I just yeah. yeah. Very very sad things happening. We need to learn from the history. And and that is that's American history. And right that's there. American history right there. It's sexy. Say hi. I mean, and that wasn't that long ago. It wasn't. The 1600s were not that long ago. They weren't that long ago. The 1800s were not that long ago. The 1960s weren't that long ago. Uh, this is cute. Do you want to listen yes, to this one? Trump yes, falsely please. claims the murder rate is the highest in 47 years. Yes, and this is the Kellyanne Conway interview that he actually, he, he gets her on this one. Get her. Get her. Fake news. 
We're about to listen to fake news. I just want to let you know that. It's a lie. Jake Tapper. He said it's the highest murder rate in 47 years, and the media doesn't report it. And again, Kellyanne, the media doesn't report it because it's a lie, because it's not true. President Trump falsely stated a statistic on the U.S. Because the press doesn't tell it like it is. It wasn't to their advantage to say that. But the murder rate is the highest it's been in, I guess, from 45 to 47 years. CNN's Jake Tapper called Trump out during an interview with Kellyanne Conway. For the president to say that is, is I, can't even, I can't even wrap my head around it. I, I think that uh, the, I will discuss it, but I think he is relying upon data perhaps uh, for a particular area. I don't know who gave him that data. It's Trump gotten also to a point where it's not even being reported. According to the Tyndall Report and other sources, we have inordinate coverage on on uh, on President on excuse me uh, candidate Trump during the Republican primary. 333 minutes on him, and really, I mean, five times as much coverage on him as these terrorist attacks, and and frankly, more coverage by the major networks at the very least on Prince's death. Your, the your spin the, about the idea that we don't want to be inured to that—that's that's a lovely spin, but that's not what he was saying, Kellyanne. He was saying the media does not cover these stories because we don't want to cover them because we have some sort of agenda. That's what he was suggesting, and it's offensive given the fact that CNN and other media organizations have reporters in danger right now in war zones covering ISIS. And I just don't understand how the president can make an attack like that. Damn, Jake Tapper, he tapped that ass, not in a good way. I I would not want to tap that. She looked like Skeletor. The, the thing is that, so now we can just... Make, make shit up. up. We can just make shit I can up. Pull and some out my ass. Well, I mean, your ass then can. our news is just as valued. We just have opinions that we throw around all the time. Pull something out. We your just ass make right now. Oh well, I think that my new theory about Melania being artificial intelligence and actually being a robot is some pretty good new news. That's I think this is a thing. She, I'm telling you, it's this new th- synthetic skin that the Japanese <laughs> have been working on for a really long time. It feels real. It looks real. The eyes, although glass, you know, they were hand painted by, uh, they were hand actually blown. They were blown glass. By Zales. Uh, by, well, it's actually, it's an Italian. It's a, a famous Italian, Chihuly. Uh, he actually hand blew those eyeballs. She has a whole different set of them uh, to stick in and out because she is, in fact, a robot. That is the news <laughs> that we are reporting here. But the fact of the matter is, um, what? What? This I is know. Like, for, lies. First of all, for just people lies. that believe this shit, it doesn't even sound. It doesn't even sound clever. You know what makes Someone's me angry? Someone's lying to you in your face. This it, is what makes me so angry, is that they won this election, calling Lord. Hillary Trump a liar. They Hillary won Trump. the Hillary Trump. Did I say Hillary Trump? You totally shit. did. Hillary Clinton. Ooh, Ooh, wow. Oh, that is you're, some deep. You're feeling that way this time That is year. some deep, deep that shit. Yeah. That is some deep Freudian yeah. shit. So they, they discredited Hillary and Trump won the election based on calling her a liar. My dad said it. Every Republican said it. They said that lying bitch, that nasty woman, that nasty lying, lying. He's lying to us now. He lied. He doesn't have any facts. He doesn't know what he's doing. Alternative facts. There's no such thing, by the way. He's just putting people with money in the positions of power. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Or I'll wake you up. In the morning when I wake up. I'm going to hit you upside the fucking head and wake you up. I've actually been feeling really violent recently. (laughs) Like, I was very, I'm a very peaceful person, but I've been really feeling violent. 
because yeah. of stupid people. Because it's, I mean, I, I just, I just couldn't see people. for a minute when I was espousing my thoughts and opinions. This is, this is the healthiest way to do it. This is, I feel so I, much more healthy I, I, today. I, I, yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hit anyone. I swear. But I just I've like I've been like because of stupidity. It's just like why are people believing this stuff? I don't understand why this is so stupid. I'm like, handle it. you know, it's like. It's like me going back to grade school where it's just like, I remember someone saying some stupid, ridiculous shit, and it was just like, that's so stupid. Why do you keep saying this? Why are you spreading this rumor? Right. It's false. Right. And you wanted to hit them? Well, that's what I feel like. It feel it actually feels like to me when I was in the back car with my brother, and he would say, shut up. And I'd say, I didn't say anything. And he'd be like, shut up. And I'd be like, uh, I, didn't, I didn't say anything. And he'd be like, shut up. Just to get and attention. And I'd be like, I don't, I don't say it. And then they'd be like, Pam. You're being really loud. And I'm like, he started it. And they're like, we, we, we don't, we don't care. Uh, Damn. <laughs> okay. She's on point on that one. So this is um, the, the end. end of the AltaCast. And thank you, LaToya. I hope that your lady parts come out. I'm mad about well, that. Well, I, I would be, I, it's crazy what's happening right it's now. And we're seeing it. <laughs> it's a revolution, everybody. Um, please just do something, anything. Post on your Facebook. It's enough. Have, have an... Have a, a heart of resistance against what is what is happening right now. Or if you live here, come to the mutiny. Yeah, come to mutiny and speak your piece. Uh, I'd like to thank Latoya, the Sheriff of Truth, and the Drug Policy Alliance, and NARL, Pro-Choice America. Uh, this has been the AltaCast here on MutinyRadio.fm. February 14th. February 14th. Come to Buzzworks. It's going to be a great, great comedy show. Uh, and it's going to star Timothy Pizza, Latoya, the Sheriff of Truth, Wynn, and Pam Benjamin, among others. So don't miss it. And uh, stay tuned for our next show, Some Call Me Tim, with special guest Jade Terrio. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. insomnia, anxiety, stress, chronic brain, depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite? I'm going to guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby! Good! Because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again! And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4AltaCalifornia.com. That's 4AltaCalifornia.com for a non-addictive, pharmaceutical-free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4AltaCalifornia.com. This is Tushar Matos with Mutiny Radio. Big up to the number one station that rule the nation. Give it to me every time. Ah! Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. 
And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. (laughs) Do you need an awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than MutinyRadio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsidai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Trying to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. And oh, I feel so lucky. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are you on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Subliminal SF brings you visual and auditory mind control. For the best graphic design, physical merchandise, and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Run! 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 Run!
second annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival is coming March 1st through 5th, 2017 to San Francisco, featuring 25 shows in five days and 50 comedians from across the entire U.S. From Washington and Portland to Los Angeles, New York to Indiana, Tennessee to Pennsylvania, these comics will join San Francisco's best underground comedians for five days of comedy at Mutiny Radio. All shows will be live streaming and available after via podcast at www.mutinyradio.fm. But see them live in our intimate 30-seat performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Mission, March 1st through 5th. Tickets available on our website, www.mutinyradio.fm now. Brought to you by our generous festival sponsors, Alta California Botanicals, Destiny's Mom, What a Tomato Produce Company, the law offices of John P. Strauss III, Asiento, FruFruHot.com, Jankytown.org, Brooke Heineken, Pervert Fervor, and Trina Roderick. Super Turn in my heart, place to place, we're turning. 